you want to kind of go where the market's pulling you rather than pushing a boulder up a hill. Because selling to clinicians a lot of the time can feel like pushing a boulder up the hill. You want to go where you're being pulled, right? Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Sahil Dewan, a first-generation immigrant and fast-moving entrepreneur and the co-founder of Safcon Health. With a background in computer science from the University of Oregon, Sahil's entrepreneurial journey began early. He was already coding at the age of 16 and building startups during his college years. Sahil's venture into medical technology was inspired by his brother Adil's struggle with impacted earwax leading to the idea for Otoset, the first automated and FDA-cleared ear-cleaning device. Here for you the key learnings that we covered in this conversation. First, design is about so much more than just looks. It shapes how people see your product, how they use it, and even how they feel about it. Aim to craft something that's not just easy on the eyes, but also easy to use, avoiding complex features that could overwhelm your users. Second, facing FDA's rigorous guidelines shouldn't be considered a regulatory hoop to jump through. Getting actively involved in the process with a top-notch consultant by your side can lead to some key learnings that you may not have otherwise anticipated. Third, building a solid business foundation is often more challenging than raising capital. Managing a medtech startup involves juggling market demand, product refinement, and team building, all the while balancing day-to-day operations. When you zero in on the fundamentals, funding gets a lot easier. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume 4 summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumrell, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early-stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Sahil, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, and based on the, the pre-interview conversation, I think this is going to be a fun one. Gotta uh, have sure. fun, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right, man. MedTech can be sometimes a little bit stale unnecessarily, but the weird thing about that that I've always, I've always felt is like we're, we're all working on like very meaningful products, right? And so 
alongside that should come with some, maybe a little bit more energy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. med device just doesn't need to be boring. I yeah. mean, we're working on cool stuff that people, um, you either, you know, that it's being used on people every day in a very, very meaningful way. I mean, it's literally their healthcare. So it's an exciting space to be in. Yeah, de- definitely doesn't have to be boring or stodgy. And I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of touch on that uh, as, as the kind of conversation unfolds. But let's start at the top. I recorded a, a brief, uh, a brief, a very brief bio at the outset of this interview. Uh, we'd like to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So give us a sense for kind of what you've been doing before founding uh, Softcon Health and, and working on the Otoset device. Yeah. So I probably don't have a ton to say here because I'm pretty early on in in my career, but I'm happy to share the the story so far. My parents are immigrants, so I'm first generation here in the U.S. One thing I like to say is that being first generation, you have some of the immigrant mentality, but you really have this concept of return on investment just hardwired into you. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of pressure from Asian parents and whatnot, in a in a focus on doing something meaningful with all the sacrifice that they made, um, you know, to to put you in the position. So when I was younger, it's kind of where this itch for entrepreneurship started is, is I taught myself to code when I was 16. I then went to college and, and studied computer science in undergrad, honestly, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but you know, wanted to be, you know, wanted to start some kind of business at some point. So really I I started off just building websites for small businesses. That's how I made money when I was younger, launched a bunch of apps with friends. Some of them did pretty well and had hundreds of thousands of users. So that was my first kind of start into startups. Um, I loved our, our LLC name at the time. It was it was called Lunch Money LLC. So our goal <laughs> was to make enough money to be able to go out and have cool lunches with our friends. Um, and then I graduated college in 2014. And while I was still in college, me and one of my friends, uh, a guy named Casey, we started a company that used algorithms to match actors to auditions. So we had this cool kind of B2B SaaS startup right out of college. It failed miserably, but I learned a ton. So I kind of call that like my MBA was that was that first startup that I did right out of college. I think where the story gets pretty interesting is, is with my brother. So a couple of years after I was out of college and, and we ended up shutting that company down, my brother, who was, who was a couple of years younger than me, was still in undergrad studying biomedical engineering. Uh, biomedical engineering. And um, he was the one that came up with the idea for Otoset. So Otoset being the the first and only FDA cleared ear cleaning device. And we'll tell I'll tell you the story of why he yeah. developed it and, and how he came up with it. But I would sleep in his, so he had a college apartment with a bunch of roommates. I had a little cot in the closet and <laughs> I would sleep in the closet um, when I was visiting him down in college and we 3D print prototypes with our small team of engineers. And that's how this started. So that was back in, you know, mid 2016 is is when we were first kind of tinkering around with the idea for the product. Yeah, I, I, we we talked a little bit about trends, right? Before I hit the record button for this interview, but it seems like that that's something that always surfaces with like um with with entrepreneurs is that you can always tell like there's there's just things that they were involved with, like even middle school, high school that you could tell they just had this itch to either build. Or try things, and I'm such a big believer that, like in this, like the acronym LBD, like learn by doing. That's the best way yeah. to learn, from my perspective. Um, yeah. And you just, you just need reps. You need swings at the plate. You need reps. And it sounds like that. That I'm, I'm seeing that right from your kind of early story of like, you know, you were in a cot doing 3D printing. I mean, most people are like, no, you need to go study and learn how to do 3D 3D printing. And you're like, no, let's, I'm, we're just gonna do it. You know, you're just gonna uh, do it. Yeah. What were, uh, what were some of your things when you were younger? a lot of similar stories, right? Like just trying to find, trying to find different ways to make money, you know, as an example, like instead of like, um, 
I never liked this idea, like working like an hourly rate, like an right. hourly wage, right? I'd be like, I don't want to go work for a landscaping company when I'm in a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I, I want to go actually do, I want to run the business, right? It's going to be my, my landscaping company. I'm going to yeah. make more money mowing lawns. So, you know, just, just things like that, you know, and I, I don't know if that's, um, that's like hardwired, you know, into, into us. I mean, you mentioned kind of like the, you know, the being a first generation immigrant, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you were around, around that, or maybe it's just kind of innate to your, your, your character, but, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely a trend that I see a lot of with, you know, with other, other entrepreneurs, um, that, that come on the, on the, on the program. There's always like little things like that, you know, leading up to what they were doing, yeah. uh, you know, uh, in, in starting a company. My, my little light bulb moment. I still remember it. I had a, had a part-time job at Hollister. And, and you were making like, I don't know what the minimum wage was at that time, but I'd make like at that young, I was under 18, so I couldn't work a full day. So I was only making like $30 in a day and I was charging people thousands of dollars for a website. And it just didn't make sense to spend that time doing that job. So that was my kind of light bulb moment of if you take like a normal job, you're pretty much capped. And if you decide to go down the entrepreneurial route, it's, you know, the world is yours kind of thing, right? It's, it's really about how much effort and, and where you want to go with it. Right, right. And I, and I think, I think one of the things that, um, and we'll, obviously we'll get to the substance of kind of like, uh, uh, the, the normal med center interview here in a bit, but, um, I, one thing I've realized too, though, is like, even though I would never trade, you know, sort of the entrepreneurial world for a, a traditional job, if I, if I, as long as I have kind of that, that choice or, or can do that, mm-hmm. um, the one thing that I've realized that it's it is it is hard. I mean, it 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 is hard. This is not this is not for the faint of heart, right? Building building companies. Um, it's definitely something that you know you've got to you've got to just love to play the game, you know, in order to persist through all of the ups and downs. And that's probably something that, like, looking back over the past you know 10, 15 plus years, it's like uh, I have a newfound kind of appreciation for that, you know, versus maybe a decade ago when I was like, oh, the startup world is so sexy and cool. I want to I want to yeah. do that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it is. It's very, very fun and rewarding, but it's also very, very hard <laughs> for sure. You have to want to do this, right? Yeah. I think uh, I think people who burn out of it think it's cool, think it's sexy. Um, and then when you get into it, you realize that it's really not, right? Uh-huh. Uh, being on a podcast is cool, but all the work that you're doing otherwise um, is is it's hard. You know, you really yep. got to get your hands dirty and you really want to, you have to have to want this lifestyle. I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, that's what I learned. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, I was listening to this podcast yesterday. Um, my first million. I'm not sure if you, if you, if you listen to that one, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorites uh, these days. But uh, not, not life science, medtech oriented. It's just more business tech stuff. But uh, Jesse Itzler was on the on the show, um, and he's the. Um, it, it, are you familiar with him? He uh, he started. His story is incredible. Like he, the, the, a lot of people have maybe read the book Living with the Seal. And that seal, although wasn't mentioned, was um, David Goggins um, at the time. So he's got this really eclectic background, total entrepreneur at, at heart. And, you know, he mentioned that on the podcast yesterday. He was like, you know, the best entrepreneurs, they, they love playing the game. So, yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Uh, but, yeah, that's why I like hanging out with people like you. because you get- <laughs> So, yeah. So after you graduated in 2017, that's kind of where this actually started. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that and then I'll go into why. Because the story is great. It's like this really personal story. So he graduated in 2017. Um, pretty quickly after that, we were accepted into this accelerator called Dream at Health Tech, if you've heard about it. Um, and then we closed our seed round in, in 2018 after going through that program, which was phenomenal for us. Um, and then that gave us the capital that we needed to go actually pursue our 510k. Because before that, like, we didn't have any money. I mean, we were in our early 20s just trying to figure this thing out. Um and uh, with the seed capital, that's how we got to our FDA 510k clearance at the end of 2020, mm-hmm. um, which is also like 
probably one of the worst times in history to start a soft launch medical device, right? Because you just couldn't get in to any of the physician offices. So anyway, the whole thing to kind of sum this up, I think is starting this company, which I feel like is my first real startup, um, has given me the focus on creating the need for creating greater access to care in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And then one thing we're really interested in here at the company is doing a lot in the clinical space, but also digging in deeper into the consumerization of healthcare and how people want to, in a post-COVID world, deal with problems like this um, in their home. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, is a good segue to my brother. Sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh no! I, you mentioned the consumer consumerization of healthcare, and we can maybe you know chat about that a little bit, a little bit uh, further down the further into this conversation. But I, I, I'm right there with you. I when when I started, um, I've always had this fundamental belief that um, that if uh, if people like people are so used to on on on, the, on their pay stub if they work at a corporation, right? They just see like the, the what they pay for healthcare is just automatically taken out, right? And right. they don't really get they don't really feel that, right? Um, healthcare was in, almost entirely cash pay people would be a lot more responsible and proactive about, uh, and it would look a lot different. You know what I mean? And so, uh, I'm, I'm, and I think we're, I mean, we're kind of slowly getting there, right? Cause most medical insurance is like, it, it almost becomes a cash pay environment anyway, because, unless it's like a, a catastrophic, catastrophic event. Cause deductibles are so high. You have to pay so much out of pocket anyway, you know, and it's, it's almost like we're, we're slowly, slowly kind of getting into this environment. Right. And, and I think the end result of that is people are getting used to operating and with more consumer like behavior, you know, uh, when yeah. it comes to healthcare like $5,000, then yeah, you're going to look for alternatives <laughs> to treat whatever issue, simple issue that you have at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my brother's story comes in. So growing up, we just thought he was this weird kid with too much earwax, which turned out to not be the truth. Um, mm-hmm. It affects a lot of people, um, but he would have to go to his primary care physician every few months for, for an ear cleaning. So you know he'd wake up to a point where he couldn't hear out of one of those ears. Um, so Impacted earwax, um, which is the leading cause of conductive hearing loss, is a problem that affects one in 10 children, one in 20 healthy adults, and one in three people over the age of 65. So that translates to about 35 million people in the US and over 800 million people around the world. Um, so pretty pretty crazy amount of, of issues coming from this one pretty simple issue. Um, and the other symptoms are like uh, pain, infection, tinnitus, vertigo. Um, and then particularly for hearing aid users, wax is the number one reason why their hearing aids are damaged and sent in for repair. So mm-hmm. talking about paying out of pocket, you know, your hearing aids can cost you thousands of dollars, right? And you're typically paying out of pocket for those. So it's something you want to take care of and need to take care of. So you can just have basic necessity of being able to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the probably the most interesting thing is how the procedure is done today. And the story is pretty cool. So back in like 18, in the 1820s, um, an otologist decided to use a bladder syringe. So it's literally, I wish I had uh, one with me right now. I could show <laughs> you what it's like, but it's this metal kind of medieval looking metal syringe. And uh, and it has like a splash guard on the end of it, which is why it's a bladder syringe. And it was repurposed by this otologist um, to use it for cleaning ears, right? So that's where ear syringing started back about 200 years ago. And that standard of care, either using a syringe or a spray bottle or something like a water pick, like they're clinicians who literally use water picks to clean patients' ears out today because the syringe or the spray bottle is so labor intensive. So that's the procedure my brother was going in for every few months growing up um, to our primary care physician, who's actually an advisor to the company today, which is kind of cool. But when he became a biomedical engineer, he thought to himself, why not um, combine 
the two most popular methods, which is irrigation using water to clean the ear, along with microsuction, which is typically done by the ENT specialist into a pair of headphones, which number one looks cool, but mostly so that you can clean both ears at the same time. And that was the idea. And, and that's where it all started. And I think how we like to describe the company and our goal is that we want to do for ears what companies like Sonicare and Oral-B did for teeth. Um, the difference is that we're starting with a solution that's in the clinic and then a version for home afterwards. Got it. That's a super helpful, uh, super helpful analogy. And for those listening, um, we'll definitely link to uh, the website in the full write-up on MedSider. But if you don't get there, it's otoset.com. So O-T-O-S-E-T.com. Um, and as Hill mentioned, yeah, it, it looks like it like beats by Dre, right? Almost kind of kind of look and feel uh, to, to the product. Um, uh, but really, really super, super cool looking device, but also clearly meets a huge need. I, I had no idea the prevalence was that that high, but it's otoset.com, O-T-O-S-E-T.com. Um, but you mentioned, so you, you 5TK clearance, I want to set the stage kind of for where you're at with it, with the company. So 5TK clearance by the end of 2020, which is incredibly fast. Um, but like, where, how, where, where do you guys now? You're, are you actively com- commercializing the the kind of the, the, the in-clinic uh, device then? That's correct. Yeah. So since 2018, um, we've raised about 13 million in venture capital. We've done a number of clinical trials. We actually finished one up recently um, with a large healthcare system partner. We've done a bunch of patents and we got FDA 510K clearance. We're the only 510K cleared or we're the only FDA cleared ear cleaning device in the world, which is pretty cool. And then we brought a totally novel ear cleaning device to market. And that's where I think all the real learning is, is like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to continuously iterate on a device that clinicians will then use every single day on patients, which is really crazy to think about that. We started in in a dorm, you know, basically in a closet, 3D printing these things. And now clinicians are using these on patients every single day. So yeah, we're in early commercialization. We sell into primary care. uh, We sell into urgent care. And then we also sell into audiology because wax is a huge problem for, for hearing aids, not just maintaining the hearing aids, but just simply cleaning their ears so you can sell them a hearing aid in the first place. So we have investment from clinicians and even from some of our customers, which is pretty cool. Um, We investment from healthcare systems. Uh, We have a number of of the large hearing aid companies as partners. Um, And as of today, we have hundreds of clinicians treating thousands of patients across the U.S. with Otoset. Very, very, very cool. Incredible, incredible. Uh, amount of progress, right? In a, in a short amount of time, especially, uh, especially in comparison to how most, most med tech companies kind of get out of the, out of the, out of the starting block. Um, And then you mentioned, I'm not sure how much you can share, but we're recording this in kind of Q, uh, Q4 of 2023, just to help, help people um, that are listening after the fact, kind of get an idea of, uh, of the timeline. But you mentioned the, the in-home kind of consumer, consumer device. I presume that's still, that's actively being worked on. Do you have kind of a timetable for when that might be available? Timetable. Yeah. Uh, But it, (laughs) We're exciting. Um, one thing that's probably pretty unique about us is that we've garnered over 150 million views on social media now, and we haven't spent a single dollar on consumer marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all just organic um, from people picking it up and it can pretty viral on social media. Um, even clinicians who use our product post about the product and get millions of views on social media. So that's something special. And what we're doing right now is we have thousands of patients every single day on our website looking for a place to go who mm. their ears clean with Otoset. So these are people who are willing to switch their clinician 
to go somewhere else to get their ears cleaned because of this product. So that's what we're really focused on right now is driving those those thousands of patients um, that we're getting every single day to sites that are using Otiset. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And I'm not sure how much, and it's probably segues into kind of um, key learnings coming out of this, the, the early stage development of the device. But uh, that's one of the things that we thought a lot about early on with, with Juve, um, which is a company I started back in 2016 is a low, lower barrier to entry, I think, than uh, in terms of design and development than 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 what you than what you you built with Otoset. But um, but we did think about that, right? Like, you know, what um, as an example, like for those from that aren't familiar, uh, Juve is um, it's it's an in home. It's we initially positioned them as as in home uh, photobiomodulation devices to the person knows it as red light therapy. We kind of created this category, this in home kind of uh, uh, category before there there was one. Now it's it's quite popular. But uh, one of the things with um, infrared light, infrared light wavelengths are, are one of the wavelengths that we used, but they're invisible to the naked eye, right? So if you if you do an all infrared device, it does not have near the virality, right? That that it would on, on, on social. And there's obviously, there's there's other inputs here, right? I mean, we weren't designing a device just so it could go viral on, on social media, but we definitely, it's definitely something that I think most people underappreciate is are there little things that you can incorporate into your product that hopefully will have clinical benefits, right? But maybe give you uh, a layer up in terms of, uh, you know, raising awareness for, for the device and helping it to kind of kind of spread. Because at the end of the day, most people might think of like what I'm describing as like some sort of marketing hack. But the the, the reality is that if you don't get the traction um, commercially, your company, your product is never, I mean, may not ever kind of amount to, to much of anything, right? And if you're working on something that could be very meaningful, have, have a very meaningful clinical impact, right? You've got to, got to marry those two together. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh. Be hard. I think probably that's one of the most difficult things that I had to learn coming from the software world and being a software engineer coming into med tech is how hard it is to really validate opportunities, right? Because you have to do any uh, your clinical trials under IRB, typically with a you know, CRO. Um, and it's hard to get a lot of real world experience until you have 510k clearance, right? Mm-hmm. Or I, I mentioned, I feel like most of the real learnings come post 510k clearance, not, not before it. Um, and then also the consumerization of healthcare can't be ignored. Um, mm-hmm. So I think products like what you have at Juve is important. And again, you can make them look good. Like I like <laughs> that product looks good. Um, I would have one in my house, right? Like that <laughs> cool product to have. And people are going to ask about it when they come over um, and it's important. So um, yeah, I think, I think people are looking for ways to solve their issues, simpler issues um, at home where they can. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So let's, let's spend the next uh, maybe 20, 25 minutes or so talking about kind of the, the, the functional areas of, you know, a, a, a traditional kind of life science medical device startup, right. And and love to kind of get your, get your take on some of the, maybe the key learnings, things that you thought you did really good things that, that maybe you do, you do differently if you, if you had to kind of re, restart the clock, but let's start, let's start on this, on the same topic, right. Uh, design and development. Cause I'm sure, you know, the Otoset device that I'm, I'm seeing online, right? you've got some beautiful like lifestyle imagery, it probably looks different than than uh, than you know what what it what it did back in the the, the 3D printing days out of, out of your dorm. So talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the key thing the key learnings coming out of those you know two three years of of development. You know maybe frame that up for how how either you do it differently now or maybe for other entrepreneurs that are kind of early on in this in this design uh, kind of uh, alpha alpha beta stage and trying to work through some of these these challenges. Yeah, well, I think coming into this and doing this for the first time in our experience design is everything and it's never ending it's it's one of those things that just 
consistently need to be iterated on. And um, also, you know, I think medical devices, again, don't need to be boring. They can look good. They can feel intuitive. And if your medical device isn't intuitive or easy to use, that means that your training has to be hands-on or hours long, right? Mm. Good luck trying to get clinicians who are incredibly busy um, to learn your new product, especially if it's a novel product and get them to complete training on their own, you know? So that's just a difficult thing. And I don't blame them. They're, they're super busy. They already, you know, have something that they're using to try and solve the problem, even if it's not the best solution. And it's our job to design something that makes their lives easier, not, not make it harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think some of this is like obvious to kind of more consumer oriented products, of course. Right. But I think, I think it's so, it's so applicable to like, I mean, your device is a great example because it's, it's being used by clinicians right now, but it is more, has a more consumer aesthetic, but it's so crucial to kind of, for all of us that are in this world to put ourselves in the shoes of the clinician and realize that they are not, they do not have the patience, the time you're not going to get mind shared. You're not going to get them to adopt your product. If it's, if it's complex to use. You know, I don't care how how cool it is, how novel it is, what it can do. If it's hard to use, that's going to be a very, very significant, you know, challenge. And so designing something, even if it's like a pure play, you know, physician preference device, designing it where it's so easy to use and simple, like that is imperative. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying that medical devices should have no training. Most of them, almost all of them are going to have some training to some level. It just needs to feel like it's not you know, they shouldn't be scared of like, I get this thing and, and now it's going to take me years to figure out how to learn to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. It can't feel like it's such a big hill to climb for people who are, who are treating patients every day, you know, like they got other things to do and, and yes, they're buying your product with intentions of using it and providing better patient care, but putting yourself in their shoes and, and just being there, like literally going to their clinic, sitting in the back room and watching how they're using this thing on, on patients, you'll find all the little details that you need to continuously improve the design of the product. And I, like I said, I don't think that ever stops. I mean, we still spend a crazy amount of time doing that. We even have an MA here on staff at our office, just in the door, in the room next door, there's a patient in right now. Um, hmm. We bring in patients all day, every day to our office um, and, and offer free ear cleanings. Um, huh. So, you know, we're, we're learning a lot all the time on how you can make small changes that make a big difference in the workflow of how a product is used. Oh, that's, that, that's really clever. It reminds me of, um, and this, this is, this has been a several years now, so I'm not sure if Cala Health is still doing it, but Renee Ryan is the CEO of Cala. She, she mentioned that they had like a Cala Health clinic uh, in, in their office where they did I'm not sure exactly. I mean, don't don't quote me on this. Um, I'd have to go back and, and listen to the interview again. But they had some sort of a they had a um, they had like a something similar to what you what 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 you're what you mentioned, where they they invited you know patients to to come in right and to be able to use their devices, see how they interacted with the devices, and obviously it it's helpful because you know they're getting care you know free free care as well, and it's extremely helpful for you because you're getting you know almost instantaneous feedback. Yeah, well, I mean, in your experience, what are what are some good ways? You know, once you get a product. Clinical trials are one thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, are, how do you typically run clinical trials? Are you running them um, with a CRO? Or are you running them with a surgeon in their normal setting? Like, how do you typically do it? And, and then how are you also figuring out that bridge between the clinical trial and how it might be used by someone who's just purchasing your product off the shelf and going through it like a normal, like a normal customer? Right. Um no, that, that's a, that's a great, it's a great question. So like, obviously it depends on, on, on the device and kind of the, the subspecialty. Um, but you know, for, from my, from my perspective, um, CRO versus like maintaining sort of control in house, 
I tend to prefer the latter, especially with uh, sort of c- customer or physician facing activities. So like, as an example, when you think about like everything that's involved in a, in a, uh, in, in, in running a clinical trial, there's probably back end things that you potentially could hand off to a, you know, to, to, to a CRO, but ideally you're, you're controlling sort of the, the customer facing aspect of, of, of a lot of that, that activity, not just, not just to help if more efficiently manage the trial, also because you're getting, you know, you're getting that much more feedback, right. Uh, that could, you could potentially ladder up to, you know, potential, you know, device optimizations, device, you know, design changes, et cetera. So that's, you're going to lose out on a lot of that if it's, if it's completely outsourced, right. If you've got a bunch of, you know, 1099s at a CRO that are kind of behind a curtain and you don't really get, you lose out on that, you know, that, that, that interaction, which I think is, is, is crucial, you know? Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.